0: Hello everybody, welcome. As we sort of continue on in this little mini-study we've been doing about Easter and the events of Easter and what leads up to Easter and, and uh, uh, you know, we've we've talked about the Triumphal Entry. We talked about the Last Supper. Um, last week we talked about the Crucifixion. This week I want to talk about the Resurrection. And um, the, the Resurrection is sort of um, it's the linchpin of Christianity. It's the ultimate authentication of Jesus' claim that He is the unique Son of God. Um, uh, you know, apart from the resurrection, we we really got nothing. And so, um, in, in 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen, Paul said that, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. So um, if, if there was no resurrection, we are in big trouble, and, and that's why it's a big deal for us, and that's why this is such a huge weekend and why we celebrate and why we, why we uh, uh, you know, do the things we do is that we're celebrating this uh, occurrence, this thing that happened, this reality for us, uh, and, and as a believer, you should be very confident in the resurrection, Uh, And and that it's not some sort of story, or it's not just some sort of fable. When we get to this weekend, my Easter message, I'm actually going to be talking about the empty tomb, Um, because when you realize that the tomb was empty and what that means, it's powerful in our lives, and it's powerful to people who don't yet believe. Because a lot of people think that this whole thing is some sort of big story. It's like a like a fairy tale. Like it's just a thing that they told kids. And, um, you know, how can anybody really believe this stuff? But we believe and understand that the resurrection is provable. It's, it's not a myth. It's, a, it's an actual event, and it's an event that, that our entire belief system hinges on. There, there had to be a resurrection for us I- to experience life. There needed to be a crucifixion for our sins to be paid for. He had to defeat death and rise again so that we could have eternal life with Him. So... The evidence is out there that shows um, that th- this event happened. Now, um, when we talk about something being a myth, uh, people sometimes will take a story and they'll they'll get enough people to believe it, and and that becomes a myth. Um, and some people think that the crucifix, the resurrection, is a is a myth. And yet, um, we know it's not a myth because we had. Uh, an actual sort of creed that started very soon in the early church. And there wasn't enough time between the event and the, this creed that was in the church for something that wasn't real to be introduced as something that was. And that creed that, I, uh, that was very uh, a part of very early in the church. Now, po- the Apostle Paul records it for us in what we know as the gospel, or the good news. But he is actually um, recording, he's writing down a creed that was widely known among the church. That And the the creed is that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that creed actually goes on to say um, that there are eyewitnesses that Jesus appeared to. And so um, the fact that uh, that Jesus appeared to people is very important and that this creed was very well, widely known and accepted in the early church um, contradicts that, that there was any type of mythology that was created over the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because some people can look back now and they think well how can we be sure of something that happened 2,000 years ago? How do we know? Well there's, there's plenty of things in place for us to know and, and those things that I just told you are very helpful We had a creed circulating in the early church, that's provable, and actual eyewitnesses um, to the resurrection of Christ. And not just one or two, and not just the little band of disciples, not just 12. Um, The Apostle Paul actually tells us that there were at least 515 eyewitnesses to the event. And at the time that Paul wrote in um, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, he says many of them are still alive. So we not only have this creed circulating, we have it now established date-wise, and many of the eyewitnesses still alive when it's written, and Paul is in effect saying, if you have any questions about this, go and talk to somebody that was there. And there's a whole bunch of them. There's hundreds of them. So, uh, you know, in a, it, when you're trying to make a case about something, generally an eyewitness or two is enough. People, if there was a couple of eyewitnesses to event, they They'll take them as, as it being an actual... There's over 500 that are, are listed in the Scripture. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Now, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. So, this creed that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that He appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that He appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all He appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born." So, so Paul records this for us in Scripture very early on in the writing. Paul did all of his writing between 40 and 60 A.D. So um, if you place a date of the crucifixion and resurrection somewhere around 30 A.D., 33 A.D., 34 A.D., within 10, 15 years, Paul is recording this creed that had been circulating and saying that most of these eyewitnesses are still alive. So, so you have all these things. Um, in effect. So, so eyewitness testimony is one of the most powerful testimonies you can have. We had, don't have just one or two people that saw it. We have hundreds of people that were witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus who saw Him after the crucifixion and resurrection. So it's very important that we understand that and that, that helps us to know that this was an actual event that took place and, and it's what we base our faith on that he defeated death, and, and he rose again. And I'll really be tying that in on Sunday. Why? Once we know that to be true, see, once you know that that's true, then all his promises are true, and, and you know who he is, who he says he is, because only God can conquer death. And once you know that those promises are true, then the promises for salvation become um, alive to folks, and, and it all begins to make sense. All right, so we have eyewitness testimony. And then another big thing that we have is that the tomb was empty. When they, when they went to go find him. Now, and this is it, and there's a lot of people that come up with a lot of different reasons why the tomb was empty, but the tomb was empty. Um, interestingly, in 1990, archaeologists in Jerusalem uncovered um, the burial place of Caiaphas, who is Jesus' chief accuser, and nobody's ever found the, the, the body of Jesus. He has never been found, and he won't be, because he's not around to be found. Um, but uh, what we know is that Jesus' body was laid in a tomb belonging to Joseph of Arimathea on uh, that, that evening. And they were running up against a deadline of, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Passover thing happening, and so um, the Sabbath happening. And so he, he, he was laid to rest, and um, the tomb was sealed. And a boulder was rolled in front of the tomb, a very heavy boulder, sealing it. Uh, and Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus put him in there. And and some of the women were around from some of the accounts. And they saw this happen. They saw him go in there. The tomb was sealed. And um, the tomb was then guarded by Roman soldiers. Now, the chief priest actually asked the uh, pilot to put guard around it because they thought, what they thought was, they'd heard. They, so remember now, these guys had heard who... And they had a suspicion that Jesus was actually who He said He was, but they didn't like Him, so they didn't care. And, and they, they thought, because Jesus, they were starting to think that Jesus was talking about, you know, the, defeating death and everything, that, that what that was going to happen was they thought the disciples might try and get together and steal the body out of the tomb, and then they'd have a whole other issue. So they go to Pilate and say, listen, you need to put a guard on this tomb uh, so that that can't happen. So Pilate acquiesces and does, and he puts a, a guard there and And um the way it 's written it 's not like he stuck one guy there it's a it 's a guard it's It's most likely four guards that would have been on duty um, and they would have generally one would have slept while the other three stayed awake, so he had at least three guys staying awake, and one would catch a nap and um you know, under serious penalty if they didn't do that, so they would have been paying attention guarding this tomb and yet on sunday morning when when women uh, some of the women go to um, finish sort of the process of burial because it was done in such a hurry um, the tomb was empty and so uh, fascinating as well that um, and I want to be careful how I say this um, because you know everything changes but culturally it's interesting that the testimony is that the the women were the first ones to discover the tomb empty because if the disciples were trying to make up a story, they would have talked about themselves because the women, in effect, had less credibility culturally at the time. That they would have been dismissed, easily dismissed. But because it's a reality um, that they indeed discover the body that's left in there as the testimony. So if they'd been fabricating a story, they would have used men um, to, to, because they would have had more credibility at the time. But um, they're just recording the events as they happen because they don't have to make anything up. And, uh, and so the writers of the the text, the, the scripture, are just recording the events as they knew them. And also what we discover is that even Jesus' opponents admit that the tomb was empty. Because the chief priests so, so, there's, so there's a big earthquake. Tomb rolls back. The guards take off because they're freaked out. As you can imagine. Right? So they take off running. And um, some just leave, and a, a couple of them go and tell the chief priests what happened and the, the, the women at the same time have gone to tell the disciples what have happened the uh, The guards go run in to tell the chief priest and the chief priests don 't actually doubt that this happened, but they 're going to cover it up it 's really bad how hardened these guys are. you would think it they're, those of you that are with me on Wednesday nights, and we talked about the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, remember when we kept saying God kept showing up with these, and you would think, how could they miss How could they miss that? The Pharisees kept seeing God show up in Christ. <laughs> they kept seeing that something was going on. And now again, they've got this same situation. They, they know that they had the tomb guarded, and that something's happened, so they say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go with a story that the disciples came and stole the body. It says they bribed the guards, To say that, and they said, "Listen, if you're going to get in trouble for that, we'll take care of it with Pilate. We'll pay him off too," and that's the story that they're going to stick with. And and um, you know, crazy that the the uh, so the disciples. If you remember what's what's the situation of the disciples right now, they're all freaked out. They've run off and they're hiding. There's no way they're going to go up against a group of Roman guards. Just no way are they going to go try and steal this body. They can't. They're not even coming out of hiding. Um, Secondly, with this whole story, uh, if the guards had fallen asleep, um, why in the world would they know it was the disciples who stole the body, which is the story they're going with? Because that's kind of what they were told. Oh, we fell asleep, the disciples. Why we were sleeping, the disciples came in and stole the body. Well, if you were sleeping, you wouldn't know who stole the body anyway. The story's ridiculous, but it's kind of what they went with. And so... um, and so, the tomb's empty. And when the disciples begin to declare that the tomb was empty, the opponents of Jesus didn't say, oh no, it wasn't. You're wrong. Uh, it wasn't empty. We have the body. The body's here. The, this is what's happened. They, could, they couldn't produce the body. And, and um, they, uh, that's significant. So many people wanted that thing shut down. That they would, if they could have produced a body, they would have. And the disciples wouldn't have stolen the body. A, they were too scared. B, you're, you're going to see that the disciples' lives change significantly in in about 40-some days, 50 days when the Holy Spirit comes, and they become the driving force behind the church, and if all they had witnessed wasn't true, they wouldn't have done it. They would have never come out of hiding. It wouldn't have happened. They would have never gone and continued this on. There was no gain for it. All of them die um, pretty significantly bad deaths in a short period of time for their faith. So uh, the disciples didn't remove the body and, and uh, um, they wouldn't have done it because of you know if they wouldn't have endured what they were going to endure moving forward if the whole thing was a big charade and it hadn't happened. Uh, some people say um, well maybe the women went to the wrong tomb but the women who went had seen it just, just before then. They were there. They'd seen where he was laying so they went to the right tomb, and then Peter and John go and check it out. They know where it is, to, for themselves, and when they get there, it's empty. And, and, um, and so they had made sure they were in the right place, and Joseph of Merrimathea certainly knew where it was, and he could have said something, oh, no, you went to the wrong tomb. Right tomb, the tomb was empty. Um, and so the, the sort of historical testimony um, that on Easter, uh, the tomb was empty. Um, there was no motive. For anyone to steal the body, um, and the only explanation that fit the facts is that Jesus actually rose from the dead, and which is what happened, and which is what the testimony is. Because when the women go, two angels are standing there say, "Why do you look for the living among the dead?" He's risen. We know that to be. Matthew 27:57 and following into chapter 28, let me read it to you. as evening approached there came a rich man from arimathea named joseph who had himself become a disciple of jesus going to Pilate, he asked for jesus body and Pilate ordered that it be given to him joseph took the body wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away mary magdalene and the other mary were sitting there opposite the tomb the next day the one after preparation day the chief priests and the pharisees went to Pilate. sir. We remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, After three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone, posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. That'll do it. The angel, and you notice at this point, the angels didn't say what they always say. You know what they always say when they're coming, right? Don't be afraid. Notice he didn't mention that. (laughs) It was like, be very afraid. So, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, said it to the women, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, he is risen from the dead, and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them, greetings he said, and they came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, there they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you're to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So, the tomb is empty. Jesus has resurrected. He's defeated death. Over the next 40 days, Jesus appears dozens of times to more than 515 different individuals. He talks with people. He eats with people. Um... He even invited a skeptic to put his fingers in the nail holes in his hands, to put his hands in his side where the spear had been thrust into him. At least 515 eyewitnesses. A lot of people. And uh, if you were to call, if you had a trial and called each of the 515 witnesses to give an account of their encounter with Jesus for 15 minutes, and you ran that trial around the clock, 24 hours a day, You'd be sitting there for nearly six days listening to all the eyewitness testimony. Um, if each witness only had 15 minutes to speak. Um, so, 128 hours of eyewitness accounts. Yeah, how many people do you think would be unconvinced after that? But that's what you would do if you had a trial. Um, the, this number and quantity of eyewitnesses is in quality, is the quality and quantity, unprecedented. First Corinthians 15. 12 through 20, the Apostle Paul again. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we're then found to be false witnesses about God. We have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So the... Last week I talked a little about the f- feast and one of them is actually called First Fruits. That happens right then on Sunday, and I said that's Jesus and that little group of 500, a different group of 500 people. Not the eyewitnesses, but the other ones that popped out of the tomb. Remember we're reading that in Matthew 27? That's the First Fruits Offering. Jesus is the beginning of the First Fruits Offering with that first 500. And um, so, and, and then this is, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to read... Um, Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. But he he wrote this. I, I, I wrote this down. He says, when I was a skeptic, he was, I tried to poke holes in the eyewitness testimonies. Maybe they were hallucinating. When I talked to psychologists about that, they told me that was not possible. Hallucinations are like dreams. They're individual events that can't be shared between people. One expert said if you had 515 people all having the same hallucination at the same time, that would be a bigger miracle than the resurrection itself. I thought that was funny. So the appearances of Jesus weren't hallucinations and they weren't mythology. Real historical events that revolutionized, that changed people's lives. You think about the disciples. Before Easter, they're dejected. They're, they're hiding. They thought their leader was gone forever. Um, After, they're they're still hiding behind closed doors, right? After the the crucifixion, they're hiding, afraid that they're going to be put to death next. That's what they're thinking. They're hiding out. They're they're, they're away. And yet, after Easter and after this 40-day period and when Pentecost happens and the Holy Spirit comes and empowers them, these same people boldly proclaim, I mean, without fear, in front of the same chief priest that had just had Jesus, um, you know, crucified. They go out there without fear and they preach this gospel this good news. And and they go and, and like I said, all of them will ultimately be um, martyred for their faith uh, in, in most unkind ways. Um, and n- s- not many of them had really long lives. Only John that we know lived, you know, for a long time. Peter was very busy for a while but most of them did not live very long. And uh, they, they, uh, they were willing to exchange their lives for this. Now some people will say, uh, well, you know, that's some people will die for their religious beliefs if they're convinced their beliefs are true. We, we see that happen in the world today with terrorists who, who believe. But the, the difference is that, that the disciples knew that Jesus had risen from the dead or they wouldn't have gone and continued with it. Because if they knew that he hadn't, they, that would have been foolish. Do you get it? They wouldn't have gone and given their lives for something they knew to be false. They just wouldn't have. Nobody. You couldn't get a whole group to do that. It wouldn't have happened. But because they knew it was true, they were willing to die for it. They'd seen Him. They'd seen the miracle. They'd seen the resurrection. They knew it was going on. And they were willing to give their lives for that. So, with all those things sort of put together, we can have confidence that, that Jesus, in fact, is risen. And that's what we celebrate. And that His resurrection is just the first. Uh, and because of that, our lives are with Him eternally and forever. And we we get to spend forever with Him. Life is more than just this. And that's good to know. This is good, but what's coming is even better. And so all those things put together can help us settle in that. And it's what we celebrate when we get together this weekend. Uh, the whole deal that Jesus willingly went to the cross on our behalf, exchanged His life for, paid for our sin, died, defeated death, rose again. And our hope is in Him for eternity. So that's sort of the Easter story. You have it all now. And... Uh, That's what we'll be celebrating this weekend. If you're watching my video, thanks for doing that. Glad that you did. Love for you to visit. Hope you can make it this weekend. We'll see you soon. If you have prayer requests, you can pass them.